Man, Jack, you're at another service. This cat's been at three services this weekend, worshiping up in the front row, and I've been loving it. You want to come up here? I want to just introduce you to everybody. Jack's up here, and he is just worshiping God. And I noticed last night he had a huge bruise right here. And uh, tell him how you got that. A baseball bat. A baseball bat. So we just need to pray for Jack. He comes in. He's worshiping God after he got hit with a baseball bat. You got no excuses here today. I don't know what you went through today, but you didn't get hit, hit with a baseball bat. Maybe you feel like you got hit with a baseball bat today. But, you know, Jack, I just, I love your life. I love the passion with which you worship God. I was talking to our executive pastor, Ryan, today about you. And it's like, that, that kid's got something on his life. And he's an intelligent kid, but you got something... That God's calling you. Do you want to be a preacher like me someday? You do? That would be awesome. That would be awesome. Man, I just loved worshiping with you and all the services. I get paid to be here. You don't. And so that means more to God as a sacrificial offering. Man, he's been so good. I mean, with Jack being here, I just remember hearing this song. Back in our day, there was a song, Great is Thy Faithfulness. It wasn't that one. That's a new one, which I love. But the words are just, I don't know, they just ring in my ears. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. Sing it if you know it. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness, morning by morning, new mercies I see, all I have needed thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. And it goes on, and it goes on, and it goes on. He's been faithful from one generation to the next generation. His love endures forever, from generation to generation. I, uh, I just love this community and um, I love being a part of the community, getting the coffee shop. New place that I've been going every morning is the YMCA and so I've got a new collective of guys down there that I'm good friends with. They're all elderly people um, and me. So it's a bunch of old guys and me. I'm not joking you. And one girl on the treadmill sometimes. And so we've, us six of us, we've gotten really close together. I love hearing their war stories and, and um, they, they just are always making fun of me that I still have to go to work. They're like, well, we don't have to work. We're retired. And I'm, shut up. You know? <laughs> but it's, it's been awesome. I've been trying to fly under the radar 
of letting them know I'm a pastor. Like, I don't know who there knows I'm a pastor, but I don't like to, like, let people know that because it just binds up conversation and everybody gets squirrely and awkward. I call it, you know, conversational constipation starts to happen. Everything just gets constipated and nothing's natural and loose anymore. Anyway, we'll go away from that metaphor, but... I sort, of, I sort of fly under the radar. That's what I was trying to say. So anyway, uh, th- this one day, this, this dude that I work out with, this older guy there, he said, can I ask you a, a question? I heard you are a pastor. I said, I didn't know that. I said, yeah, I am a pastor. He's like, I want to ask you a question. Why the bleepity bleep is somebody like yourself a pastor? He's like, I just don't understand it. And so he says, you just don't seem like that kind of guy. And uh, I'm like, well, I, I am. I love being a pastor. And, and I remember I just turned to my smile and I said, you know, I'm a pastor. I, I, I know it sounds crazy to you, especially since you don't go to church or you're not churchy, but I love Jesus and I love people and I love introducing those two to each other. I love that. It never gets old to me. Jesus, here's Joe. Joe, here's Jesus. I love Pete for Jesus' sake and Jesus for Pete's sake. You know what I mean? That's the kind of guy I am. I love him, you know? And um, boy, that was kind of cool, wasn't it? You can love God for Pete's sake and Pete for God's sake. But that's, when he asked me that, and and then later on he's like, but you just seem so normal. And it's like, because you don't know me yet really well. Um, just come to my church. The illustration um, aforementioned will just tell you I'm not normal. And so he's like, you seem so normal. And I was like, well, what are pastors typically like that you've met? And he went in just kind of the kind of goofy things that pastors are like or do. And I was like, yeah, but I'm kind of abnormal as well. So the next day I decided to do something abnormal I hid behind one of the machines when I saw he came in and I literally just jumped out and made him wet his pants it was awesome it's like you think still think I'm normal you know but uh, I, I just love people especially I've been meeting some there that don't know Christ one guy he's jacked up he's like 62 years old and he is just huge he's got a mustache and one day I was talking to him and I said man you it's impressive how much weight you can lift and how flexible you are. And he said, well, I didn't start lifting weights until I was uh, 51 years old. And I was sitting there and I was like, really? And all that did is made me think, I wonder what happened when he was 51 years old. Yeah. I don't know what happens in your brain if you're like, oh, that's, that's kind of late and move on. I'm like, some inciting incident happened when he was 51 years old. He said, if you don't mind me asking, um, did something tragic happen when you were 51 years old, like the loss of someone or a divorce? And I'm, part of me is like, why are you even saying that? And he's like, yeah, I got divorced when I was 51. And he said, immediately, that other guy that my wife had an affair with, I got so angry, I wanted to lift weights because I wanted to be able to fight him and beat him up and kill him. He says, anger can make you do some pretty crazy stuff. I says, so how's that going for you 10 years later? He says, well, I don't lift anymore out of anger. I lift because it's just an outlet for me. He says, I've never told anyone what I just told you. Can you promise? 
to not tell anybody in this place that. I said, yeah, it's between you and me. And uh, every week that I see him, he comes in, and we just start continuing to carry on a journey with God. Because he found out I was a pastor, and he's like, man, I haven't been to church in 20-some years. I said, well, you're always, you know, free to come to our church. Because I just, this heart for people, I was thinking about it this way. I love the saved, and I always will, but I'm obsessed with the lost. And if you're saved and don't care about the lost, I have to question whether you've truly been saved. Because I firmly believe found people find people and saved people save people. It's just a natural instinct or intuition that comes into your heart once you've been rescued by God. You can't help it. And so I love the stories where Jesus is reminding his disciples or Christ followers around him about the lost and continuing to champion the cause of the lost. And there's one passage in Luke 15, he gives the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, just saying, I don't care what you found and what you have, I care about what's missing and what's lost, and I want you, no matter how good you have it and how comfortable you are, even in your comfort, I want you to be having in your mind just this this sort of instinct that I got to get out there and I got to find another one. In Luke 15, I want to just unpack this verse as we come to this last week of our Through the Roof series. And the spirit of those guys who, in the crowded room, standing room only, are like, this guy's got to get to Jesus, and we're going to dig through the roof, and we're going to lower him to Jesus. It's that spirit that I want to capture afresh today. Luke 15, 3 through 7, says, then Jesus told them this parable, this story, Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them, doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. That's where we get all the Jesus paintings with the sheep around the shoulders. And he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep and I tell you in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who don't need to repent. Now, those are fighting words to a religious community that's like, I love my robe and I love my tassels and I love my phylactery and I love Hebrew culture and I hate the Samaritans and I hate the crossbreeds and I hate all these people. I, want, I like my life. And, and he says, God is actually throwing parties over the one not the 99 that are safe in the fold, already found. That's a game changer. That flips the script for a lot of people. And I'm really grateful you came today. And I think God is overjoyed that you came to this building today as a church to worship Him and hear from His Word. But I want you to know something. He cares a whole lot about the people that aren't here. He constantly is thinking about the people that aren't here this morning, that aren't, it isn't in their minds to even have the foggiest clue or intuition to wake up this morning and come to a place like this. This is the furthest thing from their imagination. He's thinking about them all the time. And he says, wouldn't anybody who's a good shepherd or 
who knows me, leave the 99 in the open country and go into the deep weeds in the deep woods or 20,000 leagues under the sea to find that one. Wouldn't anybody who knows me do that? It's interesting, I was thinking about the average size of churches like 75 to 100 people and I thought maybe this is a principle that you get up to 90 people, 99 people and when one leaves you say who cares, it's just one. We got a huge contingent over here, we're doing just great, it seems great to us. It's just one person, no big deal. That's not the way God looks at it. It's a big deal to him, that's a big one. You're just one is a big one person to him. Have you ever lost something that's really, really critical or important? I mean, can you think about a story where you, your life just started spiraling? I don't know if you've ever lost a kid on a beach. I remember being on the beach in New Jersey and a family lost their little one. And it was like, Amber Alert, Amber Alert, the whole beach, everybody's out of the water. I'm running up and down the beach looking for the little kid with yellow shorts. Everything stops. Nothing matters. The beach life, the cool life on an ocean city, the boardwalk, who cares? There's a kid that's gone. And everyone on that beach was looking for the little kid in yellow shorts. Oh, it's just one little kid. There's lots of them on the beach. Big deal. <laughs> it's not my kid. Big deal. That's even worse. At least it's not my kid. Let's get off this beach and go home before it happens to us. No, no, no. Your kid's my kid. My kid's yeah. your kid. Your heart's my heart. My heart's your heart. His heart's my heart. I lost. What is Funny, this last week, I sold my lawnmower a week and a half ago for 150 bucks. You know what I love about that is that it's actual money. Like my paycheck goes automatic this and automatic this and it automatically goes to my wife is what that means to me. <laughs> and then automatically goes to my kids after that and automatically goes to tithes to the church. And I don't actually have real money in my wallet most of the time. My girl's like, Dad, do you have like five bucks? And I'm like, no, I don't. I never have any bucks, ever. But I had 150 real dollars. Like, it, like I lived in the 80s or something. It was amazing. And it was a $100 bill and two 20s and two fives. This guy had somehow talked me down from 400 to 150 because I am a horrible negotiator. I just was like, yeah, I'll take, I'll take 200. Sure, 150. What else did you find that's wrong? Why don't I pay you $10 to take this? I mean, he was like, and this is wrong and that's wrong. And I'm like, I know, that's why I'm getting rid of it. It's all wrong. Get it on your trail and get out of here. Point being, I got 150 real dollars in my wallet and my wife's not getting it and my kids aren't getting it. I can spend it on whatever I want and it's untraceable. If I want to stop off and get a Snickers bar, I'll stop and get a Snickers bar. It's not like, hey, I saw that you got a Snickers bar like my wife does. So anyway, now I'm just half choking. 150 bucks. All of a sudden, I'm in the living room, and Caleb, my five-year-old, comes out, and he's like, look, I got a green one with a hundred on it. 
And I'm like, where did you get that? And he's been in my bedroom, dug through, he and Josh, my wallet, credit cards, all these cards, and the money's out. I get it back in, the 220s are gone. And I'm like, where did you put my 220s? We never had them. We only saw 100. There were, there was 150. There's two fives. There's 100. Where's the 220s? Gone. I'm looking everywhere. 220s gone, gone, gone. Nobody has them. I'm texting my daughters. Did you take 220s? We didn't take the two. Honey, where's the 220s? I didn't take your 220s. It's gone. Gone. And I thought, oh, man. And I mean, I waterboarded the boys. I did everything. I, they did not know where the 220s were. I'm being facetious, of course. Of course. But I, they did not know where they were. And I lost the 220s and they are, I have not found them. But you know what? That's not a big deal. It's just 220s. And Dutch people are here like, yeah, that is a big deal. And I go, okay. I would call the cops and we would do an investigation. So anyway, I, pr- I love the Dutch people that are here. 220s, that, that's not a big deal. You know what was a big deal is when we went on our sabbatical, Heidi and I, to Italy, and we went to Rome for three days. Awesome. Things without a hitch, train up to, to Florence. Oh, that was just awesome. We, we got to Venice, took a train, came into Venice. And I, I don't know if you've been to Venice, but streets, it's water. Everything's water. And so you go to the taxi, and the, the taxi is just a white boat, and there are big white boats that are buses, and everything's boats and gondolas, and it's just all water. So we go down to the dock, and our little taxi comes up, and we put in our luggage, and we're on kind of a wide, I'm just kind of wide-eyed, just I feel like I'm in a movie. This is on my bucket list. And we go to a smaller street or little kind of river that leads. And when he pulls off and docks us, and there's our hotel right off of this little, you know, stream street, if you will. And so we get off, we get in there, and we get to the front desk. And, oh, it's good to have you here. And that Venetian accent. And we're talking, oh, you have the best room in our whole hotel. It's, it's got a veranda right over, you know, uh, where you can look down at the channels. And I'm like, oh, that's awesome. He's like, it just, all I need is your passports and I need this. And I'm like, great. And I look for, where, honey, where'd you put the passports? I put them in your duffel bag. In my backpack? Where's my backpack? Oh my gosh, the backpacks. I think I left it in the back of the taxi. I was getting lost in the wonder of Venice. And I run out and the taxi's gone and there are literally thousands of white taxis everywhere. And I came back and I said, the taxi that just left, is there a way to get in touch with me? He's like, sir, I don't, we, I don't know. I don't, what, what taxi? I don't know, it was a taxi, it just left here. He's like, we need to call the police. The police in Venice are going to go find my black backpack? Like, can't we call the taxi company? No, I, we, sir, I don't know the taxi company. Do you know the taxi? We, we don't know. Somebody set up this trip. We, that's where our passports is. He's like, sir, I, I'm sorry. We need to call the police. And then he said, I don't, I don't mean to be mean, but a lot of times when people lose things, they're never found in Venice. I'm like, thank you for the encouragement. <laughs> And she's like, do you remember anything? And Heidi remembered one word on the taxi. And she said, that's the only word I know. Well, let me, I'll, 
you just go to your room. It's the most beautiful room. Just enjoy it. And, and I'll try to find, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm trying to do an accent while I'm talking like myself, if you can't tell. <laughs> and it's, it's pretty funny. <laughs> so we go up to a room. I didn't care about it. I walk in the room. I'm like, this is ugly. This veranda's ugly. Look at the streets. They're out there. Oh, so amigos. They're out there. Just lovers are going down. I'm like, Phew. you know, it's just like, I hate you. You have your passport. We don't. Oh, I hate. I just was like, in my mind, I'm like, we need to just forget this. Forget Venice. We need to get on a train. Get down to Rome. Get to a, a United States embassy. Prove to them that we're Americans and it's going to take weeks for us to get home to our kids. That was kind of a neat thought. But other than that, that was like a morbid thought to me. <laughs> and we're up there for 25 minutes. It felt like 25 hours. And I was just, my blood was like 104 degrees. I was hot. I was just sweating. I was angry at myself. The whole trip meant nothing to me. That's all I could think about in my panic. And then 25 minutes later, the guy behind the desk, oh, we found it. They're going to drop it off in three hours. It took the rest of the day to actually relax. I was so bound up with panic. I wonder if this is a parable about panic over people. I wonder if this is a parable about the kind of panic we should have over a person. And when you lose this, it's special. It means something. It matters. And we got to be a church that have a panic and a passion for people and a person like nobody's business. Everyone's like, it's no big deal. It's only one of 99. I am in a panic, and I am so passionate about that one. I will go to any rocky crag. I will find that one and bring it home. You don't understand. We don't understand Jesus' passion for people. People are the only thing we're taking with us to the other side. You do realize that, right? This church ain't going. The church we're going to build, it's just going to be here, new heaven, new earth. We won't care about that stuff anymore. The people, they're going to the other side because they're immortal. They're everlasting. The Amber Alert should just go off. I watched a movie last year. It's called um, Hacksaw Ridge. Anybody seen Hacksaw Ridge? Amazing movie if you have the stomach to see a war movie like that. But it was of this, this guy named Desmond Doss in the American army in World War II who served during the Battle of Okinawa. And um, he becomes the first man in American history. He was a medic to receive a Medal of Honor without even firing a shot. I think he saved upwards to 80-some lives just by himself. Got a Purple Heart, this Medal of Honor. And he wouldn't grab a gun and he wouldn't shoot anybody, but he was in the battle. And there was a scene in it where I just remember crying because it just was about the one. And that always grips my heart. Check this out. We'll talk about it. Good. Okay, we got you. We got you. Desmond, I'm gonna fix you up. 
Our prayer every day should be, Lord, help me get one more. Help me get one more. There's this quote by Charles Spurgeon, the old preacher. He said, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. And if hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let not one go unwarned, unprayed for, or unsought after. The teeth of our exertions. Oh, oh I see that movie, Lord. Just one more. Just, just not everyone. You can't think of everyone. You'll get so overwhelmed. Just the next one. Just the one sitting next to you. Just the one sitting next to you at lunch. The one sitting next to you in the coffee shop. Just the next one. Talking to you students too in your schools. Just one. Get that one friend. Just keep working on that one. Lord, help me get one more. I just can't get it off my brain. To to care about the the lost and the last and the least. Like that's the mission of our church. The lost and the last and the least. It's like, well, you know, I don't know. I, I'm doing okay. I just, that never happened to me. I've never been the lost or the last or the least. Well, if you haven't had your legs blown off and you got legs, can you use your legs to go help the person with their legs that got blown off? I've never had my heart torn apart. Well, can you give your heart that's never been torn apart and leverage your heart to the mission of reaching out and binding up the hearts of the brokenhearted with Jesus? Well, I've had a great life. I'm not who you're talking about. I've never been victimized or disenfranchised or marginalized or demonized or dehumanized or ostracized. I don't care if you've had a great life. Then use your great life to help the people that haven't had such a great life. Go get them. 
stay on the ridge. Stay on the ridge. Jesus talked in parables, but he also talked about the kingdom of heaven is like this. And I was thinking about the pearl of great price, this treasure hidden in the field. It says the kingdom of heaven, Matthew 13, is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went out and he sold all he had and bought that field. And it just talks about the, the grandiose love of God for us. He's like, I'll just sell out for you. I give it all up for you. I'll die in your place to purchase your pardon. We are the pearl of great price, the treasure. And I just think about that field that my mind went to the field that God allowed us to purchase over at Noon's property. And just like giving up so much to get that field the treasure that is in that field is just so crazy and i'm not talking there's like an oil field under it or anything i'm just saying god's gonna do amazing things on that field couldn't you feel that at the property party if you went i'm like wow how did we get this you know how we got it because ryan kresge he's a scrapper the scrapper that he is one morning saw as Sam Noon was in there with his four buddies drinking coffee before the sun comes up, his little life group, if you will, and he crashed their little party because he was out there scrapping. He's working across the way for the land over there and a lot of futility and a lot of energy and, and a lot of time and a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, and it wasn't working. And he stopped in there and he said, Sam, hey guys, I, I just want... This is for sale. Is it ever going to be sold? Is it pending? What's going on? And he says, funny you ask, that deal just fell through with a guy in New York that was going to buy it. He's like, oh, is that right? <laughs> he said, you came at just the right time. Why are you interested in it? Yeah. Let's have my realtor talk to your realtor. And when it all was said and done, we bought the land for less than what they're asking for. I don't know if you know this, but Sam Noon actually gave it to us for $25,000 less so that he could commit to give to the matching grant. And he doesn't even know Christ and doesn't go to church and said to Ryan, and I'm not going to. <laughs> but he doesn't know how uh, tenacious we are as a body. You got to know that story. It's just Ryan just saying, I'm going over there to the lighted windows where the guys are sitting. And then when I found out as time went by that that land, as we've been trying to get it approved for special land use for a church and been running into all kinds of difficulties, that land has been approved for a strip club in time past in the township. And you can't imagine the glee, the nostril flaring glee in my heart when I found out we purchased that property right out from underneath the nose of Satan himself and we took his ground from him. I love taking territory from the enemy, land or lives. I love taking ground for Christ. And our church is going to use that ground that was once committed to the evil of the kingdom of darkness and we're going to translate it over the kingdom of light and we're going to start rescuing people rather than putting them in bondage Amen. that's redemption baby that's redemption chalk it up so excited make you want to slap your mama love you mama can't give you one more story luke 17 kind of flips it around here he does want to go after the one but when that one is reached that one turns into somebody 
It has to have a particular heartbeat that beats and bleeds with thanksgiving and gratitude and gives its life and lives its life back to God. Luke 17, now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. I always love how Jesus was on the borders. He's always in borderland. Nobody wanted to go near Samaria and Galilee. There was nothing good there. They actually hated those people. And Jesus is like, well, I'm just always on the border and on the fringes and on the margins. It's where our church wants to be. And he was going into a village and 10 men who had leprosy met him. This was this disease that once it took over, just, it was just ate your skin and ate your limbs off the end of your body and you know, your extremities all the way in and it would just eventually just kill you. Once you got it, you were banished outside the city to tombs like the, the graveyard of Gadara. You were just banished there in a leper colony and that was your life until you died. And they stood at a distance because of this. You remember what they had to scream if anyone that didn't have leprosy came around them? Unclean. Unclean. There's no less dignity you could have in this society. And they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. I, I love that they didn't say unclean because they knew when they were around Jesus, they were around grace and they were around healing. And they're around somebody that would actually come and touch them. And when he saw them, he said, go show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Sometimes you got to go before God heals you. And one of them, when he saw he was healed, kind of mid-sprint, came back praising God in a loud voice. And he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan, the last person that they would have thought that Jesus would not only interact with, but the last one you would think that would come back and thank him. And Jesus asked, we're not all 10 cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this stranger or this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise, go, your faith has made you well. Like I think about being a person that wants to go find the one, but I'm the one who's been found, and I'm the one who's been given great grace so great a salvation. I've been rescued by God. What am I going to do with that bountiful blessing? Am I just going to run away and say thanks, but no thanks? Thanks so much. Catch you later. Hey, I, I, I totally forgot. Once you did that, I got a life. I got my dreams. I got my desires. I'm just on with my life. These other guys, man, they made it lickety split and went about their business. And one guy is hussing it. He's going for his family. He's, for the first time, going to be able to see and, and lay in bed with his wife again, be around his kids, have him sit on, on, on his lap. He's going to be in his life group again with his friends and his buddies. He's going to be able to get a job and live in the city. Jesus Christ gave him his life back, and he's running. He's bolting. And like a heart attack, he stops dead in his tracks and he turns and makes a 180 and says, I got to go back and I got to throw myself at the feet of that dude and say, thank you. You've given me my life back. Do you live your life that way? Do you live your life with sort of a gratitude to God every day for his grace 
It's upon grace, upon grace in your life. And today, just in, in my mind, this is just about coming back. How rare it is and how few they be that actually come back to Jesus and say, thank you. But I want to be one of those people. I want to be one that goes out just like Jesus is one, one of the ones that goes out for the one. But I want to be a part of a group of people that live our lives and give our lives as a response back to God and his amazing grace. And have my life just be one big thank you. My dad posted something on Facebook. That in and of itself, what just came out of my mouth is an ironic statement. Because they are digitally very... Um, needy and um, I, I can't, can't believe he posted this on Facebook and as his son when I got this this is the dream of my heart for my dad and my mom that they won't just kick up their feet and die with their loafers on watching the news uh, you know and you know complaining about the weather and the gas prices at the end of their life not after they've lived so well for so long and been so faithful i keep telling them your legacy means something to me dad your legacy means something i know you 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 have you know, um, to go to dialysis three times a week and you have to, you know, struggle through to have energy. But I want you and mom, I don't want you to go to a retirement community and retire and just do nothing. Just keep giving yourself to people. So when my dad wrote this, I just was so blessed. He said, Philena, that's my mom. He said, Philena and I went on an afternoon date yesterday after church. After a wonderful meal together, we went to see a film, same kind of different, which they didn't let us go to the movies, so they're backsliding. <laughs> backsliding Baptists. <laughs> what an emotional story that I would highly recommend. As I watched, I had this thought. This is what he thought about my mom. This reminds me of my wife. She loves the downtrodden. She's such a good example to me that God loves all people and we should too, even the homeless. As I write this update, she's helping a pregnant lady in her Bible study get to a doctor's appointment. This weekend, she took some other ladies to the Salvation Army to find some items for their bare apartment. As the needy man in the film said, often God is seen in the eyes of these people you take time to love. I needed this reminder when I want to give up on them. And I called my dad and I just said, I love that you guys are just faithful to the end. It just inspires me as your son and inspires my brother Tim my two sisters, this inspires us. Just keep going to the end. My dad, three weeks ago, he became a Lyft driver. It's like an Uber driver. <laughs> He's like, I'm just so sick and tired of going dialysis and sitting here and the days off in between. I have stuff to do. And he's like, so Tim set me up with an account. I just take people around. You cannot believe the people he's picking up and the conversations he's having down in downtown Detroit at 12 and at night or 10 at night, it's awesome. He's right where he needs to be. He loves meeting strangers and he's bold about Jesus. Be a Lyft driver. He's like, it's cool, Jason. You wouldn't believe it. Like on your phone, there are maps. Like, yeah, dad, you don't have to do this anymore. It's like, I love it. I said, dad, it's an adventure, isn't it? And he's like, yeah, you have second, seven seconds, it'll come up. And if you don't punch it in seven seconds, it's gone. And I punch it before I know what I'm going to do. I said, that's an adventure. Who knows where life's going to take you? It's like a box of chocolates. Eh. <laughs> you 
Our sacrificial offering today, to me, is a thank offering. It's what it was called in the Old Testament. It's a gift to say, for all that you've given for me and to me, the least I can do is come back and give back a portion of what you blessed me with as a thank you. My dad used to say at the table when we would eat, Jason, would you return thanks? Would you return thanks for our meal? And what he meant is this meal was given to us by God. Your bed, this warm air in this house, all of the things in this house, everything has been given to us by God. Jason, can you please return thanks? And today is an opportunity for us to just return thanks to God. To be one of the 10 that stops dead in their tracks and says, I got to go back and say thank you for what you did for me. And I'm going to say thank you for what you did for me. And I'm going to live my life from this day forward to make sure I'm going out to find the one. Because you found me and I want to find somebody like you found me. So today we're going to stand up. People have come with their pledge cards and with their one-time sacrificial commitment and their tithes and their offerings, everything. We're going all in to just go after the $900,000. And God's been so faithful this week with all these stories. I've been trying to share them on Facebook. It's been so amazing. But now is our time. This is the time. This is the place. We are the people. And God is not done yet. He is famous his renown needs to reverberate out of this town so that it is felt in the surrounding area for his glory. Can you stand? We're going to sing a song called Come to the Altar that we sang for the first time last year. Come bring your gifts to the Lord.